0: And you may be seated. Please open with me now uh, to the book of uh, Galatians. Our con- consecutive study of uh, the book of Galatians. We come this morning now to Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Uh, Galatians uh, chapter 4, verses uh, 8 through 11. Let's now hear uh, God's holy word. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you, in vain. This ends this reading uh, in God's word. Let's now look to the Lord uh, together in prayer. Lord, our God and heavenly father, we give you thanks for your holy word. We thank you for its truth. We pray, O Lord, now that as we open it up and we consider Paul's pleading with these Galatian Christians some 2,000 years ago, that we would realize that this is a word not only written for them, but for us also. We pray, O Lord, our God, that you, by your Spirit, would give us insight, particularly Uh, to the ways that we as a church and the ways that we as individuals can learn and be challenged by the things that we hear today. O Lord, we pray that you would give us a fresh awareness of the greatness and glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also of the dangers of a formalism. And we pray, O Lord our God, that we would uh, be granted the insight to, to know our own hearts in these things, We pray, O Lord, our God, that we would come to turn our eyes upon Jesus afresh this day. For we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. uh, Amen. Uh, The writer John Fesco, the pastor John Fesco, uh, speaks of one time that he watched a documentary um, that recounted the torturous existence of downed American pilots who had lived Uh, in the infamous Hanoi Hilton during the Vietnam War. Uh, This was a prisoner of war camp. And many of these prisoners had endured excruciating conditions over their time in that prisoner of war camp. Starvation and torture and absolutely barbarous living quarters. A peace was finally negotiated. These airmen were returned to the United States. But in this documentary, uh, Fesco says, uh, it showed how these former prisoners, immediately after being released from this prisoner of war camp, were then given uh, medical attention, they were bathed, they were given new clothes, and they were taken into a dining hall where they could order whatever it is that they wanted to eat. And He says it was rather remarkable what some of those prisoners Uh, eat. One airman ordered a large steak, a dozen eggs, and French toast to eat immediately. To say the least, these former prisoners of war, having endured such uh, agony, such terrible captivity, were glad once again to be freed. Now the question is, would any of these who had just escaped such a prisoner of war camp, do you think that any of these would raise their hand and volunteer to say, no thank you, I actually want to turn right around and go back into that prisoner camp? Would there be any of them? And of course the answer is no. No one at all in their right mind, having escaped the bonds of a terrible slavery, would choose to go back into that slavery. Well, the Apostle Paul is now turning to these Galatian Christians. And even, and you can think of that Im- those images of those prisoners of war in your mind, he is saying, dear Galatian Christians, you are those who have been freed from the most awful slavery. Why would you ever choose to go back into it? And yet, that is the very thing that through the influence of these Judaizers, through the influence of a kind of Jewish Uh, legalism that they were tempted to go back into was a kind of slavery. And so that's the thing that we're going to look at today as we consider Paul's exhortation. Paul has uh, been spending quite a while now through uh, the book of Galatians explaining why it is and how it is that we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, uh, by the grace of God alone. Uh, But now, in these verses and in the rest of chapter 4, he's going to be making some appeals to the Galatian Christians on the basis of what he has said. And today's appeal is simply that. Do not go back into a state of bondage. Well, we're going to consider this passage under three different headings. First of all, we are going to consider our release from bondage our release from bondage. Secondly, we're going to consider the return to bondage. And then thirdly, we will consider Paul's passionate appeal. Our release from bondage, the return to bondage, and Paul's passionate appeal. So now, at the beginning of verse 8, Paul is going to first of all speak to these Galatian Christians. And this is verse 8 down through the first part of verse 9 of their release from bondage. Paul reminds these Galatian Christians what it is that they once were. Before they were converted, Galatians, who were you? We can answer, ask the same question of ourselves. Before you became a Christian, who were you? What was your life like? And he reminds them that before they became Christians, they were those who did not know God. These were mostly Gentiles. They would have grown up without the teaching of the Torah. These were people that worshipped, But what they worshipped wasn't the true God, but rather they had worship that was directed toward pagan gods and goddesses. They were ignorant of the true God. So it is, really, of all people before they become Christians. The veil is over our eyes. We might know something, or we might know very little about who the true God is, but we have no desire to worship Him. We don't see beauty in Him or glory in Him. We don't really know Him. And instead, what we worship are those things which are not in in themselves gods. We might worship uh, various kinds of idols. It might be the idol, like these Galatians, of a false religion. Or it might be the idol of money, or the idol of popularity, or the idol of secular ideology. He speaks of a time before you became a Christian when you were ignorant of God. But this idolatry in which they engaged was actually a kind of slavery. Did you see that? When you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And that is absolutely true. That all idolatry is actually actually a form of of slavery. People become enslaved to that which they worship. Uh, Many of you know that I have have friends in Papua New Guinea, Ray and Cheryl Jabello, who we have supported as a church. They speak of uh, just the animistic religion of the tribe among which they minister in Papua New Guinea and how it leaves people in utter fear. They see gods behind every tree and they are fearful of the gods that are there. And so it is really with all false religion that people are enslaved to the rules or to the regulations or or to the uh, uh, to the things that they worship. It's true even of when people worship money or worship popularity. They become enslaved to that, that they have to have it. They'll do anything to get it. And it works as a kind of slavery in their lives. Friends, without, uh, apart from the Lord God, we are slaves. Slaves of sin. Slaves of the rules of false religion. But then what happened in Galatia? Well, it's the same thing that's happened in the life of every one of you who has become a true Christian. And that is that you heard the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ in giving His own Son for our salvation, sending His own Son to that cursed death on the cross. And what has happened? The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we would be slaves no longer. But instead of being slaves, that we would now become children of the living uh, God. And that's what he says. Now, slaves no longer, now, what is it that what is true of you? You have now come to know God. Once you were ignorant, once you worshiped idols, but now, now, dear friends, you have come to know God. And by knowing God, he's referring not simply to a kind of theoretical knowledge that I know about God. Now that's part of knowing God, is knowing who He is, His glorious attributes, His glorious work of salvation. But it's more than just knowing about Him, it's actually coming to know Him in a relational way, in an experiential way, to have a living fellowship with the God who has made this universe, and that's what it means to become a Christian. It's that you went from being a stranger, even an enemy to God, because of your sin, to now knowing Him as your heavenly Father. But he says, well, actually, more accurately, it's not just that you know God, but it's even more than that, that you have been known by God. And that wonderful little phrase in verse 9 points to the initiative of God's grace, doesn't it? You know, how is it that you went from not knowing God to knowing God? Was it a result of your religious journey? Was it a result of your human merit? Was it something that you discovered on your own one day? And Paul's answer is no. The way that you were brought from idolatry to the knowledge of the true God was an act of God's free and sovereign grace alone. It's that you then were known by Him. And known by God, again, not just in the way that God knows all things, but known in a relational way. If I'm a Christian, I am one whom God chose from eternity. I am one who Christ chose came to die for on that cross. And if I am a Christian, I am one who God, in his sovereign uh, uh, in his sovereign gracious activity, came by the Spirit, intervened in my life, opened my eyes, granted me the gift of faith, and has made me his child. I am known by him and so, even as there's that verse in 1 John 4 and verse 19 that tells us that we love because He first loved us. So we could summarize these verses as saying we know God because He first knew us. So by God's sovereign grace, you have been brought from a state of idolatry, ignorance, and slavery to a state where you now have been saved by God's sovereign grace, you know the living God, and you are a child of the living God. What a dramatic change has taken place. By God's sovereign grace, we are now freed from all that which once bound us. Were you once slaves to sin, you are no longer. You are united to Jesus Christ who died for you and who has raised, who was raised for you to bring you to new life. Were you once slaves to Satan and to demons? Well, you are no longer because Jesus Christ, your Savior, has bound the strong man. He has defeated the devil by his work. <coughs> Were you once slaves to fear and anxiety? Well, we are slaves no longer to that because the Lord Jesus Christ has defeated death, that last great enemy, and we can know that whatever it is that happens in our lives is happening to us from the hand of a loving Heavenly Father who gave His own Son for us. Will He not give everything else for us also? Do You see, everything to which we once were bound, we have been set free. To be a Christian is to be in this glorious state of freedom. It is to be free by God's sovereign grace and to be a child of God. And so to be a Christian is to live not as a slave, but rather as a beloved child. That's what happened to these Galatians. That's what happens to each one of us when we become a Christian. So let me just make just a point of application from this. And, And it's simply to say this, we need to think often about this dramatic change that has happened in our lives. It's one of the reasons I think it's a good thing to tell, as it were, our testimony of our conversion to Jesus Christ. That we ought to talk, as it were, to ourselves about it, to remember What our life was like before we were believers. The way, the slavery that we endured, the ignorance, the idolatry, and what God has now done in our lives. And why we ought to tell other people as well. I think one of the best things sometimes, when you get to know one another, even in this church, ask one another, how did the Lord bring you to himself? Tell me, what did the Lord do in your life? And we get the chance to to hear in the stories of so many, of how they were brought from slavery to sonship, how they were brought from ignorance to knowledge of the living. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's as we recount that often, as we think often and speak often of our own conversion, (laughs) that we will be reminded that I am not what I once was. And I ought not to live like that any longer, but rather to live as a child of the king. Might we often think remember and speak about this work of grace that God has done in our hearts. And that's what he's telling these Galatians. He's saying, remember, dear Galatians. Remember what you once were. Remember what you now are. Do not forget it. Remember how you have been set free from this terrible bondage. So that's our first point here. Let's move on now secondly. Okay, having considered our relief from bondage through God's sovereign, gracious activity, now he's going to address what he sees as a pressing pastoral concern among the Galatians, and that is that they were tempted to return to bondage. That's our second point now, a return to to bondage? Would a person who is freed from slavery want to return to bondage again? You wouldn't think so. That was my opening illustration today, right? Why would anybody want to do that? But that is exactly, Paul is saying, that's exactly what these Galatian Christians were doing. You see, these Galatian Christians having embraced Jesus Christ by faith, were now, had now begun to observe the Jewish law, the Old Testament law, in all of its details. We've already seen over these past weeks, haven't we, how they were practicing uh, circumcision. But now, Paul says, verse 10 here, they are now also observing days and months and seasons and years. That is, they began to adopt the Jewish calendar with all of its various festivals and celebrations. You can think of things like uh, the new moon, and the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Booths, and the Passover, and the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Trumpets, along with uh, just the weekly Jewish Sabbath on a Saturday with all of its particular ceremonial garb that was Uh, put upon it, and all of these things they began to adopt and began to uh, practice. Now, friends, this calendar was one that was given by God Himself in the Old Testament. It was appropriate for believers in the Old Testament to observe this Jewish calendar. These feast days which were centered on sacrifices that were offered in the temple They were a pointer, all of them, to a Messiah which was to come. However, once Jesus has come, and these Galatian Christians knew that, that Jesus had come, the Messiah to which all of these pointed had now appeared, that these shadows were to pass away. We don't need them now that our fellowship is directly with them the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for these Galatian Christians to now keep these days and to insist that they be kept by all Christians was to begin to act as if Jesus had never come. It was to take their eyes off of the Messiah and to go back to, the age of, to these age of rituals and to these age of shadows. And to turn back uh, uh, for them shows a disregard for Jesus Christ and a preference for ritual over a living relationship with the Savior. And that's what was going on in Galatia. Now, uh, at this point, you might ask the question, well, is all celebration of days like this in itself Uh, evil? Uh, And the answer, as we look at our New Testaments, is is, no, it's not. It's not all evil. Um, Certainly, uh, the Lord has given us a weekly Sabbath. That was part of God's moral law, the fourth commandment. It was practiced by the early church, including Paul is remembered as the Lord's day on the first day of the week. So the early church certainly remembered a weekly Sabbath. Similarly, Paul points to the lawfulness of optionally observing other days. So in Colossians 2 and verse 16, there Paul says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. And in Romans 14, 16, Paul says, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of, of the Lord. So what an interesting thing. Well, what's the difference between what he's talking about in Romans and in Colossians about the observance of these days and what was going on in Galatia? Well, the difference was this. It is that in Galatia, this seemed to be, this was being made a necessity for their salvation. This was now considered a higher level to the Christian life. These were, uh, it was considered that they were now making progress in the Christian life by mandating that all of these days in its entire be kept. And Paul is saying, no, that is wrong. So is it wrong for us as a church? Uh, To occasionally uh, have certain days, we think we have a Lord's Day each year in which we'll especially remember the incarnation of Jesus Christ and another one in which we especially remember his resurrection. These things aren't in themselves sinful at all. They can be a help even. But what is sinful, dear friends, is when we turn a kind of calendar like this into the main thing or into a primary thing in the matters of uh, religion. And that's what was going on here. The Galatians were turning to a kind of intense, scrupulous keeping of the Jewish law as a way of making progress in the Christian faith. They were saying, it was good that we began with Christ, but now to really make it, well, we also need to keep all of these days in all of their particulars. And Paul is saying, no, no, that's not progress. That's regress. And it is a kind of regress right back to your previous pagan condition. And that's actually the really shocking things that we see here in verses 9 and 10. It is that Paul actually equates this turning to the Jewish law, this turning to the Jewish calendar, as a return to their previous. Pre-Christian, idolatrous condition. He says, you once were idolaters, you are now sons. Now do not, by keeping this Jewish law in a legalistic way, return now to what you once were. Now that would have been shocking to any Jew. They would have said, whatever we are, we are not idolaters. But Paul is saying, when the law is becoming a means of you earning your own salvation, and when you have now turned the law into a kind of ritualism that takes your eyes off of Jesus Christ, then it is no different from the idolatry of this world. That both this legalism and idolatry, okay, Uh, represent a return, what he calls here in verse 9, to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world, to a kind of religious impulse that is less than Christian. Because either one of these tendencies is that which takes away from our sole reliance upon Jesus Christ. And so that is Paul's theme here. It is that Jesus Christ needs to be central to our lives, not only at the beginning of our Christian life, but at every point through the Christian journey. It is never that our obedience to the law becomes more important than Jesus Christ. We ought not to replace a slavish obedience to ritual. We ought not to repl- or we ought not to, excuse me, replace a joyful trust in Christ with a slavish obedience to ritual. We need to cultivate intimacy with God as Father, not a kind of dead religious uh, formalism. And that's what was going on here. They were turning to a kind of formalism, a ritualism, going through the outward motions in religion, making a calendar and the keeping of a calendar the main thing rather than a growing, living relationship uh, with the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And so it is a warning that any kind of religious formalism like this is actually a return again to slavery. And let me just, uh, at this stage, as I apply this to you here, give you a few different signs of what this formalism looks like. How can we be wary of the kind of formalism that these Galatians fell into. What are are some different signs of formalism? Let me give you three of them. And the first is this. It is when we think more of what we must do than what God has done for us in Christ. That is a kind of formalism. When we think more of what we must do rather than what God has done for us in Christ. That's what these Galatians were doing. It was now a matter of their own obedience, of their own ritual, of what they were accomplishing. And dear friends, we can fall into the same traps today. If it is primarily your aim to simply be a good person, to live a decent life, To be nice to the people around you. If that is your chief aim, then you have fallen into a kind of religious formalism that is deadly. Because for us, what we ought to say is every time I look into the law of God, I see my own failures. I'm not good. I'm not nice, but praise the Lord that I have a Savior who has done it all for me. And so what should our focus be? It's on Jesus Christ who bore the curse of the law in my place. It's on Jesus Christ who has saved me from my own sin and from hell. It is Jesus Christ who is everything. And every moment of every day, that ought to be our chief theme. It is what God has done for me in Jesus Christ, not on what I am doing. Okay, And this doesn't mean, of course, that there is no place for obedience in the Christian life. Of course there is. But it's what we call an evangelical obedience. It is an obedience out of love for Christ and all that He has done for me. And so even my obedience isn't so much focused on myself as it is on Him. I obey because I love Him and I adore Him and I'm thankful to Him for all that He has done for me. So there is a formalism when we think more of what we must do than what God has done for us. But a second sign of formalism is when I make religious ritual or technique or form the key to the Christian life. When I make a kind of religious ritual or technique or form the key to the Christian life. And that's again what these Galatian Christians had done. For them, the key now was that they would observe this Jewish calendar and all of its uh, particularities. And uh, so it is even in our day that people often will substitute ritual or ceremony or form for Jesus. I think this is one of the dangers in the Roman Catholic Church. Many of you in here grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, and its own false uh, uh, teachings regarding salvation that we in some sense contribute to our good standing before God can breed as well a kind of formalism where Christianity becomes, well, just going through the right rituals. It's going to confession, saying our fathers, it's, it's uh, participating in, in, in the Mass and it's it's doing those things and many of you have testified that before you came to know Jesus Christ well that's what religion was to you it was these formalistic kinds of kinds of steps but it's not something that only plagues those the, the danger of roman catholicism but it can plague even orthodox believers within Uh, the church of of Jesus Christ, that we can be tempted at times to put form and ritual above Jesus Christ. That we can think that it's enough to simply uh, participate, whether it's participate in a religious service, to show up at church, to check off the right boxes, to go through the right steps. Or at times we can even think that, or or we can use... uh, 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 we, we we think oh yeah I'm a Christian I believe in Christ but the real key to my Christian growth what Christianity is really about is is this other thing whether it be the right parenting technique or whether it be uh, um, uh, uh, the, uh, a particular a political policy or it might be a, a particular uh, a kind of diet that I'm engaged in or a particular uh, uh, kind of schooling. Uh, method. And and that thing can become the focus rather than Jesus Christ. The ritual, the form, replacing the substance who is Jesus. We need to be aware of that kind of thing, of where a religious ritual or technique or form becomes for us the key to the Christian life. The third sign of formalism is this. It is when I fail to cultivate An ever-growing, deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a sign of formalism. When I am failing to cultivate an ever-growing, deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. Friends, the main thing in religion is Jesus Christ. It's what He has done for us. And it's us coming to know Him. Coming to know the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Dear friends, are are you doing that? Is is the main thing in religion for you to come to know Him more? That was Paul's passionate concern. Oh, that I would know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. That was Paul's earnest desire. was more of Jesus. I, I want to know more of Him. It's not just... It's not just going through these steps. It's not just doing these things. It's not just having religion have a part in my life. It's that I might know Jesus in all of His beauty, all of His glory, and have an ever-growing, deepening relationship with Him. And so it ought to mark our lives that, that, we, would, uh, that we would regularly be convicted over sin, that we would repent of our sin before the Lord that we would seek to keep a clear conscience before the Lord, that we would respond to Him with thanksgiving, that we would long to read our Bibles because it's in our Bibles that we know Him more, that we would pray to Him, that we would look forward to engaging in corporate worship, not just as a, as a ritual, but in order to know my God more. Oh, are you one who is cultivating an ever-growing relationship with Jesus? Christ. You see, that's what these Galatians were failing to do. Substituting ritual and form for Jesus. Might we be wary of these same things? Are you tempted to formalism? Remember what he says, to engage in this kind of formalism is to go back to a slavery. Do not do it. Do not do it. Be aware of this. Don't turn back to a slavery if you are a son. Let's move on now to our third and final point, and that is Paul's passionate appeal. And we see this in verse 11, Paul's passionate appeal. He says to them, I am afraid I may have labored over you In vain. What a window this is into Paul's heart, isn't it? Here's Paul the pastor, Paul the evangelist, Paul the man who cared deeply for these Galatian churches. And he says to them, I feel like I've wasted my time with you. Now, you and I know that when what we do is in service to Jesus Christ. Our time is never wasted. Even if these Galatian Christians did turn away from the Lord, Paul's time among them would not have been a wasted time. He did it in service to Jesus Christ. He did it for the spiritual good of these people. His service was precious in the sight of God. And even when God's word meets with rejection, we are still being faithful in giving out the Word of God. It doesn't return to the Lord void. It accomplishes its purpose. And so, there's a very real sense in which we look at this and we say to Paul, no, Paul, however these Galatians turn out, you did not waste your time with them. Okay? But, I say all of that to say, Paul's words here as it were, give us a beautiful window into the heart of one who cares deeply for the salvation of others. Paul's heart here is so tied up in the spiritual welfare of these Galatians. It's as if he could not bear the thought of them turning away from the spiritual riches that they received. Paul is saying, when I came among you and served you and preached the Gospel to you. I wasn't doing it as merely one who was a time server. I wasn't merely a kind of a professional who was putting in my hours, but I didn't care about the reception that this was receiving. Rather, I came, I did it all. I labored in this way unto one great end that you would embrace the Gospel and live for Jesus Christ and serve Him all of your days. That's why I did it, Paul said. It wasn't just simply a matter of duty. I did it with a longing, beating heart for your salvation. Every sermon that he preached, every word of counsel and encouragement and exhortation, all of it was for their sake so that they would walk closely with Jesus Christ. Paul didn't have any secondary objective in what he did. His goal was one, it was that these Galatians would look in faith to Jesus Christ and live in light of that gospel all of their days. And friends, it's when we see that as the heart of Paul that we can understand something of his heartache, of his grief, and of him saying, I fear that all of that labor that I engaged among you was a labor that was in vain. Wow. Wow. What a passionate appeal. And I think we can learn two things from it. And with this, we'll close the sermon today. And the first is this, that we can see Paul here as a model for us of godly concern. We're going to see much more of it in the passage next week, verses 12 through 20. We're going to see Paul's heart of godly concern for others. Do you have the same kind of concern for the salvation of others that Paul had for these Galatians. And that ought to lead us to speak to them, even as Paul speaks, when we see a brother or sister beginning to fall away, when we see them drifting, perhaps into a kind of formalism or a kind of legalism, when we see their love for Jesus Christ waning and and waxing and growing cold, can we, with Paul, come up to them and with passion and an earnestness marked by love wasn't Paul so clearly marked by love there was nothing of a scolding kind of just selfish sort of scolding in any of the rather he was marked by an earnestness and a love to them oh dear brother dear sister don't turn away from this glorious gospel that we have in Jesus Christ look to him Come, draw near to our Savior. Uh, grow in Him. Can we speak with this same kind of tender concern to one another? Paul is a model to us of a godly concern. But then secondly, I want to say that Paul's passionate appeal here is it proves to be a serious warning to us against the danger Of formalism. This proves to be a serious warning to us of the danger of formalism. You want to say to Paul, is it really that big of a deal what these Galatian Christians were doing? And Paul is saying, I fear, I fear that all of my labor among you has been lost. So I can say to you, if your religion turns merely into a kind of formalism, merely about what you are doing rather than what Christ has done, if, it, if you turn away from Christ where, it's, where you're simply trying to be a good person or trying to engage in the right rituals or just to be a religious person or to be a decent person in this world or uh, when your life uh, has stopped trying to cultivate an ever-growing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, can you hear the Apostle Paul coming to you as it were through the centuries and saying, I fear for you. I'm afraid for you. Lest all of the labor that other Christians put into you, telling you the gospel of Jesus Christ, showing you the glories of your Savior, the riches of this gospel, I fear lest All of that will have been in vain. What a serious thing this is. What a serious thing a kind of religious formalism is. And might the Lord use that, as it were, to to warn us, to challenge us, but then to cause us to look afresh at this glorious gospel of grace and the God who has loved us so much that He gave His only Son for us that we might be no longer slaves, but children of God. Might we live in light of this gospel? Might we live as children of the Lord? Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for this warning that we have been given today, a warning against a kind of religious formalism, ritualism, a focus on that which is outward rather than a growing inward faith and love for the Lord Jesus. Oh grant, Lord, that we would have our eyes turned afresh to Jesus Christ this morning. And Lord, where we have seen some of these same formalistic tendencies in our own hearts, O oh Lord, arrest us today. Stop us in our tracks. Grant, Lord, that we would confess these sins and look afresh to Jesus Christ. And Lord, it is our longing, we think even of the young people growing up in this church, growing up with the blessings of a gospel uh, inheritance that they have received. Oh Lord, it is our longing that they would be not simply religious people or nice people or good people, that they would be those who are saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, looking in faith to this Savior all the days of their life. O Lord, our God, You who has made Yourself known to us by sovereign grace, make Yourself known to them as well. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're now going to come to the Lord's table, and we're going to first of all uh, prepare for the table by singing together uh, the hymn. It's a hymn which focuses our eyes upon Jesus and what he has done uh, for us. A rock of ages cleft for me. Hymn 452, we're going to sing six stanzas 1-3. Let's stand to sing. The words of institution from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. But we do come to the Lord's table uh, today. Uh, The Lord Himself has established this table. He appointed it on the night uh, before His crucifixion that we should remember remember Him by this meal and fellowship with Him until that day when we shall be with Him in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, This is, however, no bare ritual, no bare ceremony, but rather here, Jesus Christ himself is offered to the needy sinner who looks to him in faith. So I uh, welcome to this table today all you who know yourself to be a sinner. You have repented of your sin. You are looking in faith and sole reliance upon Jesus Christ for your salvation. If you have made a profession of that faith in Christ and are a member in good standing of a church where the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached. And I welcome you to this table today come and welcome join with us here at this feast but if you have not looked in faith to Jesus Christ or you have not made profession of that faith then do not come to this table today rather might it be that soon you would look to Jesus Christ and join us at this table look to the Lord Jesus. Don't come to the table today, but rather look in faith uh, to him. Well, let's now set apart these elements from a common to a holy use by prayer. The Lord, our God and heavenly father, we give you thanks that this table is a table for sinners like us It's not a table for those who are already righteous, for those who through their own journey and by their own merit have discovered you, but rather here is a table for those who have been discovered and known by sovereign grace. We thank you for that and we come to this table today full of thanksgiving to you, O Lord, that acknowledging afresh that it is all of grace from beginning to end. We owe everything to you. Jesus Christ is alone our Savior, whom our souls need. We dare not rely on our own works. Lord, we we ask that you would give us freedom, O Lord, from all legalism and all formalism. O Lord, cause us to rest afresh in Christ our Savior this morning. Lord, we pray that as we eat and drink that you would commune with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, uh, amen. On the same night in which our Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples as I'm ministering in his name, give it unto you. And he said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You, when you receive the bread, you can hold on to it and we'll eat it together at my direction. Sisters, our Lord Jesus has given himself for us. Let's eat of the bread together. Same manner also after supper he took the cup and after giving thanks as has been done in his name he gave it to his disciples and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins drink from it all of you and in the inner circle is wine the outer circle is grape juice when you receive it you can hold on to it we'll drink it at my direction. the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do give you thanks that you have given yourself for us and for our salvation, that you are our Savior, uh, both then in the first century, the Savior of these Galatians who look to you in faith, and you are our Savior as well. Lord, grant that this week we would walk in light of the gospel and live as sons of the living God we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Well, let's now uh, respond. We're going to give the deacon's offering, which is, this is an offering that goes to support those inside and outside of our congregation with material and physical needs. of Rock of Ages 452. of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.